Welcome to Everything House Music and more. And today's special guest, we have the one and only Mr. Craig Loftus. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I appreciate you doing this, man. And it's, it's an honor to have you today. It's an honor to be here. So we're going to get into it. You ready, Craig? I'm ready. Okay. So first, how were you introduced to the culture that became the culture of house music? And what year was that? Oh, my gosh. Um... I would say my introduction was twofold. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that is because I was introduced, I don't even know how I got introduced to the scene. <laughs> it's been a minute. Right. But I remember uh, we started a, a group. Oh, you know what? Let's take it on back. I think I okay. got it. Okay, go ahead. One of the premier places that also helped kick this off was Mendel. Oh, okay. And I was a big fan of Mendel. Right. I was there every party that they gave. Oh, wow. And one of the things that Mendel Catholic that they used to do that was real big was the dance groups. Right. And in high school, I was a really good dancer. So I was in a lot of different dance groups. Okay. So I met a couple of people and it kind of like broke off from there. We started doing parties and things. I met Eric Bradshaw. Okay. And he wanted to start a group called Vertigo. Right. And because We Light My Fire was our favorite song. Right. So we started, it was Eric Bradshaw, myself, and a gentleman named Steve Moore. Okay. That was the first three uh, people in Vertigo. Right. And we started doing parties right when the scene was happening, beginning, in its beginning. Okay. When we were not considered house, but we were considered punk. Right. You know, because um, house wasn't even made up. No, it wasn't time, even right? in existence. Right, right, you know, right. It was, it was, it was the punk out. Okay, you know, right, we, right, we right. Had our own dance. You know, um, and as that. And even, what year was that, Craig? Oh my gosh, that had to be seventy-eight, seventy-nine. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't quote me. Right. Media. Uh, I'm getting old, but uh, yeah, around 78, 79. Right. uh, Because I was in high school, I graduated in 81. Okay. Yeah, 79, 80, 81. And then by being involved with the teen scene and learning the ins and outs of promotion, one of my friends was going to this club every week called The Warehouse. Right. And he would come back with all these fabulous stories about the music and everything like that. Wow. So one night um, I snuck out okay. with him because we were all of, oh, wow, 16? Oh, wow. 15, 16? Okay. Yeah. And he told his mother that he was spending the night in my house. I right. told my mom I was spending the night at his house. Right. And we ended up going down to 206 South Jefferson. Wow. I was a nervous wreck right. going in the door. Oh, my God. Uh, it was just unreal. But when I got there, it was, it was amazing. It was right. remarkable. So can you give me some music and fashion reference at that time? Um... When we got to the warehouse, that was around the time when all of the so-called what we would consider classic house was new. Right. I remember when Frankie first got Let's Go Dancing. Oh, wow. He played it about six to seven times that night. He just kept flipping it over and playing. Actually, at one point, I got tired of hearing it, but he made it happen. (laughs) Right. And, you know, and I actually... um, Story that I said I wasn't going to tell because I'm putting it in my little book that I'm putting together. Okay. 
I, I was there the night Martin Circus was played in Chicago. Oh, first my goodness, time. the first it time. Was, it was unreal. Really? It was unreal. Now, did he play the whole record at that time? Oh, night? yeah. Okay. He did. It was amazing because at that time, no one had really heard anything like that. Right. And when Frankie dropped it, you know, one of the reasons, too, we were all fucked up. Right. If I, I mean, you know, <laughs> keep it real. Right, right, right. You right. know, um, but he dropped Martin Circus, and I remember everybody like got caught up in a hypnotic trance. Right. And I, I looked around and even at 206, there was this long staircase that when you came into the door, you would walk through this hallway and then you'd go down the stairs right. and that was the dance floor. Yeah. Even the people that were on the stairs, everybody had literally stopped in their place and was dancing wow. wherever they were. It was amazing. And, and the fashion at that time was what? Fashion was you had a lot of, designers okay tons of it okay but to to tie that into the club that's interesting that you said that right. because at 206 at the warehouse the only thing that you were concerned about when you left there was what you were going to wear the next day wow the next time it was open so it's like a wardrobe change. It was. It, to, oh yeah we yeah. actually if if you became a regular you would bring an outfit change. Wow. So if you were saw somebody, like say if you were you were a good friend and you were there, yeah. I would see you at midnight or at one o'clock. Right. Because usually we didn't get there till one or two right. in the morning. If I saw you at two o'clock, by six you would have something else on. Wow. And that's why I was always right. in line at the bathroom. Right, right, right. Because everybody wanted to change outfits. And it's so crazy because the way 206 was made. Okay. It was like you had to walk down this runway. Right. It was when you came up the stairs and paid your money at the door, right. you made a right, then you made a left down into this room. And in this room, it had booths built into the wall. Right. And you had to go there to get downstairs. Wow. And that right there was the the fashion show catwalk. Right, right. And that's when and everybody, yeah, seen everybody what was you had looking on. to see what right, you had right, right. on. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, Craig, are you considered first generation house, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So here's the second question. Do you remember when that culture started to be referred as house in a black gay community? And how long did it cross over to the straight kids? Well, that's where your problem starts. Okay. It, it, it had two different meanings. And a lot of people don't understand it. When we first started doing this, it was not considered house music. Okay. Frankie didn't play house music at the warehouse. Okay. Frankie played Euro disco, R&B, everything. He played a, a eclectic. It was right. all over the place. Right. So it, it, there wasn't what, quote unquote, house music because it wasn't even in existence right. then. Right. Um, but some of the people would refer to, the regulars would refer to certain songs that they remember that Frankie played a lot as okay. house music because they remembered it from the warehouse. Okay. So we 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 gonna we gonna get into this right here. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the term house music came from? So I, I take you back because a lot of people like Wayne and and Kirk Townsend say you know people was playing disco music in their house and you know they was like well what's that they playing everything in their house and they call it house music. So do you agree with that or do you agree with everybody saying it came from the warehouse? And they shorten it up because some of the songs they was playing, they was like, oh, that's what we hear at the warehouse. So they call it house music. I would say it's a real sticky situation. Right. I would actually say that the word house music 
came from the warehouse. Okay. But I would say that the warehouse was its catalyst. Okay. Right. To the genre. Correct. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you when you talked about the vertical parties, can you d- describe what a vertical party was and who were the DJs and what records made up that sound? Well, it's interesting. Like uh, the music that we were playing was, you know, a lot of the, again the classic house what people deem today as classic right, house right, music. Right. The teens were on it okay. at the same time as Frankie was doing his thing. Oh wow! See, and that's that's why I remember Robert Robert Williams and I had a little debate because okay. uh, he was in an interview one time and he mentioned that there was nothing going on until he got here, and I was like, no, right, 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 you right. just didn't know what was going on <laughs> on the south and the west side, right? Because he, he wasn't from Chicago. No, he was not. Right. So he didn't know that it was already a culture being formed. Um, yeah, strong culture. Okay. I mean, you have to remember back then we could give events that had five, ten thousand kids in Navy Pier, things like that. Right. I mean, it was big, it was huge, and it was all also. That's why I, I credit Kirk Townsend for having a lot to do with it as well, yeah. because it was derivative from on the South Side from right. Mendel, right? You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. So let's let's see where we. Are. So um, when you met Frankie. How did that relationship develop, like, when you first met him? And were you just friends, or were there more to that? Well, Frank... <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. It's um, time for the tea. Yeah. Right. No, Frankie and I were very close friends. That mm-hmm. was it. Okay. A lot of people thought it was more than that, but no, we were just very close. We clicked. Right, right. Uh, I met Frankie, I, I, I remember, very clearly. Now, if anything, I do remember that. In 206, there was a big window. It was like an opening where at the end, at the very end of the club was where the DJ booth was. And I used to come and stand there. I would stand by that window every time I was in there because I'd be with my friends and they would want to dance and party and all that. But I kept gravitating back towards that window. Okay. When I got to that window, I would just stand there and I'd look and I'd just watch him all night long. Right. I'd just watch him. And I remember clearly one day I asked him, would he teach me how to DJ? Oh, wow. And he told me no. Okay. And I, I, I consider that the catalyst and the energy that made me become the DJ that I am today. Wow. Because I said, okay, you said told me no, so I'm going to teach myself. And so in what year was that? Oh, my God. That had to be 79. Okay. Yeah, 1979. Wow. And... Eventually, Frankie just because see, you know, only the elite people were in the DJ booth. He right. had a staircase in there, okay. and people would sit on the staircase behind him wow. while he was DJing. Right, and he just motioned for me to come in. Okay, and I came in, and we he introduced, and I introduced okay. myself. And every week from then, I would right. come back, and I'd sit there, and then uh, we became really, really good friends. Now, did you have a role at the warehouse? At the warehouse, I did not have a role. Okay, um, but how about the power plant? Well, the power plant, when Frankie, you know, us being close as we were, okay. he knew that my interest at that time was in sound engineering. I was going to Columbia okay. uh, for sound engineering and art and entertainment management. Right. Um, he was one of the reasons that I did that because he wanted me. He always said, I want you to go get papers behind you. I mm. want you to have papers behind okay. you because he knew how interested I was in that. Right, um, right, right. So he... I believe it was 80, 
81, okay. 82, no, 80, 82, 83, okay. around that time. Right. Frankie called Robert and I, and he said he wanted us to meet him somewhere. Right. And uh, it was a club called Riverside. Okay. It was 1015 North Halston. Right. So Robert and I came down, and uh, Frankie was saying, you know, what do y'all think? Okay. It was actually Frankie was the resident DJ of this bar already, and it was it was already okay. he was already the resident DJ. Okay. It was actually a white leather bar. Oh wow! Right around the corner from Cabrini Green. Okay, and because of that, they were having some issues with the boys in the neighborhood <laughs> breaking into their cars <laughs> right, right. and jumping on the guys that were going. So okay. the guys who initially opened it wanted to sell the club. So okay. Frankie, uh, Frankie. I said, you know, what do you guys think? And we said, it's nice. He said, well, I like that. I, I want to buy it. Right. What do you think? He said, well, yeah, it could work. And then that's when the wheels start going into motion. Okay. Of, and and um, was that's when Celeste was a, a partner, too, at that time? At, I, now, I remember Celeste coming in, but we were already open. Okay. And that I remember. Right. I, I could be wrong. Right, right, right. But I, I do remember uh, there was a business deal that Celeste and Frankie did. But at that particular time, the club was already up okay. and running. Right, right, right. Um, I think we just needed some additional stuff that he wanted. And I remember she came into a lot of money. Um, right, right, at right. At one point. So were you spinning at the power plant with Frankie? <laughs> yeah, I used to open up. Oh, okay. It was a... Uh, um, Michael Winston and I used to switch off right. back and forth. My job at the initially my job was the sound engineer. Okay. This and it's a crazy story. There was a guy named Nick who was the head engineer, very talented young man. Right. He also studied Richard Long. I okay. studied Richard Long. Nice. Richard Long is one of the premier yes. sound, sound designers. Yeah. Um I was that was my mentor. I was just like anything Richard did, yeah. I was into. And so was Nick. So every time I would see Nick, we started talking about engineering and right. all this. And he actually had the original schematics for Richard's tweeter array, oh, wow. which is one of the most popular things out. And just yeah. the other day, believe it or not, a friend of mine found the original tweeter array wow. from Paradise Garage Get and out of sent here. me the picture of it. Yeah. Nice. So um, with that being said, I, I was more in my, like I say, my initial job right. was sound engineer frankie okay. hired me but the way the story went uh i was in school at that time in columbia and i would come down to the power plant on right. fridays to let frankie hear remixes and edits and stuff that i did and okay. you know we would go back and forth with that kind of stuff right and one night i came down and his sound system did not work him and nick had an issue right. and they fell out and Nick kind of sabotaged a few things, but he didn't. <laughs> he didn't tear it up. Right. He just rewired. Rewired it, it so nobody. Knew I remember it, yeah. I had an event at Columbia, and I had on a suit and tie and all of that. Right. And Frankie said, "Can you help me?" Right. And I was like, "Well, I got up and I said, do what I can." I got in there, started tearing stuff apart, got it together, and at twelve oh one. We put the needle on the record, right. the turntable. I remember the song was Stopped by Jean. Oh, wow. And the room sang. Right. And I was just joking, and I turned to him, and I said, do I get the job? And he <laughs> said, you got it. Wow. And that's how I became the engineer. So when you were spinning there, do you remember uh, what were your first records? Mm. Or even when, your first records that you brought when you was starting to DJ? 
when I started DJing, I remember uh, going back and forth to imports, et cetera. Right. And uh, I used to also work at, was it JR's? I used to work at JR's in Evergreen Oh, get Plaza. out of here. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I remember this one guy, it was so funny. Benji used to tell his story all the time. Benji Espinoza. Yes, Benji right. Espinoza. Rest in peace. There was this Jerry McAllister record that came out that I thought that was really, really hot. Right. And I kept pushing it and pushing it. And if you remember in JR's, there was this guy that was, I think his name was Stacy. Okay. That was like been there forever yeah. and everybody yeah. knew him, but he had a real funky attitude. Right. And he told me if I if I played that record one more time, he was gonna toss it across the store. <laughs> and he said, if I told him if you tossed my record across the store, right. I'm gonna toss you over the counter. Oh wow. And lo and behold, everything came to fruition. Right. <laughs> and then she tell, used to tell this story all the time right, to right, people right. about don't make Craig Loftus mad because he'll toss you over the counter. But it was just wow. yeah, it's kind of crazy. I can imagine that, Craig. Come yeah. on. Now. Oh, yeah. And, and you wouldn't. I mean, I do have pushing points. When, you right. know, there's a breaking point Absolutely. every now and then. But back to, you know, uh, I remember I was the first person that bought uh, Nancy Martin, Can't Believe, okay. from Imports. Right. I was the first person to buy Soul Sonic Force oh, wow. the minute they came in. Right. I, was, I was right there. And that was one of the records you played at the Powerpoint, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you witnessed the development of Jamie Prince with your love which East Move credits as the first house song and artist. Tell the Jamie story from your perspective as a DJ and engineer. Well, Jamie, uh, you know, so funny you said that just the other day, Eric and I, East Move and I saw a post on this website or whatever, and the guy was trying to explain your love, and he had he had it all wrong. Right. The whole story behind it. But... Um, the original mix of Your Love was very musical. Right. It was not, the guy made it seem like it was just a drum track with oh, yeah. a few things. That, it was extremely musical because Jamie is a very proficient keyboard exactly. player. He brought it, he actually, the mix was done by Louis Gomez, okay. which a lot of people don't know. Jose right. Gomez, wow. which is one of my good friends as well. That yeah. We go party, we party back at the warehouse. Right. Tell you stories <laughs> about that. Um, Jose, I call him Jose. His name is Louis Gomez. Uh, Jose brought Jamie down to meet us at the power plant. Right. Jamie was not a patron of the power plant. He didn't go out. Jamie was a very shy and timid young right, man. Right, right, right. So when, when Frankie heard your love, uh, it was amazing. One of the things that people have to remember, too, the way it worked at the power plant, and this is why Chip E, everybody else, JM Silk, would bring us stuff. Right. We literally would listen to it right then and there at the party. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And always. Play, and play always. It. And if we thought that this was going to rock the party, right. we would. I'd never forget. Frankie would put it on the reel. Right. He'd listen. And then he turned to the person and give him that look. I already knew he finna play it. Right, 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 right. He finna play it. So he would set it up and build it, and we would play it. So, I mean, we were right on the cusp of new music, new creations, and everything, right when this whole house thing was beginning to evolve. Right. You know, Chip would bring down stuff. uh, uh, Steve Hurley would bring down stuff. Jamie would bring down stuff. So so you engineered some of Jamie records. Oh, yeah, definitely. What Jamie would do is he would do, like, prototypes, bring them down, and then okay. we would decide if we're going to really work on them, what, how we're going to go with right. it. Um, I engineered 
bad boys. People always wonder, the biggest thing with all Chicago DJs is trying to find a clean copy of Bad Boys. Guess what? You won't. Wow. It was actually recorded in the DJ booth. At At the the power plant? plant. Yes. Get out of here. We recorded Bad Boys in the DJ booth. Uh, We recorded Make You Scream in Jamie's bedroom. Okay. And also... uh, your love, we didn't. Let's see, make you scream, bad boys, and I'm missing one. How about baby wants to ride? Baby wants to ride. Right. Yeah, we did both of those in Jamie's bedroom and bad boys in uh, the power plant. Wow. Then eventually, what happened was waiting on my angel, which Jamie did without me. Right. Um, went real big in the club, but people were really right, right, digging right. on it. Right. So, uh, Persona, a record label called Persona, wanted Correct. to pick it up. Right. So we went into the studio. Remember when Universal was on Rush Street? Yep, sure yeah, did. That's right. It was actually the day after the party that I gave at Mendel with Frankie and Jamie performing. And you engineered Waiting on My Angel? Yes, I engineered Waiting. At, I engineered wow. the song. And actually, it's so funny, I always tease Jamie about this. Uh, I paid for the end of the session because we ran out of money. Wow. But I had money because I had just given the biggest party Mendel, one of the biggest parties Mendel had ever had. That was one of my parties. Get at, out of at, here. At, at Who Mendo. was the DJs at Mendel then? Uh, I, actually, that night was Frankie. Okay. That was Frankie. Oh, it was so Frankie yeah. and Jamie performed that I night. I remember that because yeah. it was the Green Flyer. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. And you know, a lot of people don't know, we went to, that party was, we went the week before and bought... Jamie was standing on that stage in a $3,000 suit. Wow. From a place called Intrinsic, where we would do all our shopping at. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, it was amazing. So when the record, after going back to the record, when they did the uh, release, I mean, I did the mix and everything, uh, engineered and all of that. Granted, Frankie sent in the credits so right. that I would get co-credit as mixing and engineering. Right. But when the record came out, my name was nowhere on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. They do that. Yeah, they it was that. political. Yeah. Um, but Frankie got so upset with them that they they did put a, uh, they printed out a sheet that had the, the, the corrected right. stuff that was supposed to be yeah. on it with my name on it. And then my name came on the record in the second pressing. Ah, okay. But I mean, yeah. the first grand pressing, yeah. you want to be a part of that, you know, but uh, well, my that's name. That's why you're telling this story. See? Yeah, you know my name didn't come on. And uh, unfortunately, which is really crazy, right. the only person that I know who has that insert was Benji Espinoza. Wow. He actually called me and said, Craig, you know, I found the insert for Waiting on My Angel. Wow. Uh, from Persona. Oh, rest yeah. in peace, Ben. That would have yeah, nice if rest you had a picture. Yeah, it really, really would yeah. if we had the picture of that. So yeah. after those initial records, Jamie and Frankie fell out. From your perspective, how did it happen and what do you think influenced it? Well, this is when the time after the power plant had closed. Okay. And Frankie was trying to decide. Actually, Frankie was living with me at that time. Oh, wow. And he was trying to decide what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go. And he decided he was going to go to London. He went to London before he went to New York. Everybody uh-huh. thought he went to New York first. Okay. He went to London first, if I'm correct, if right. I remember correctly. he Because uh, when he left us, he went to London. But before that... He was doing a deal with Trax Records. Okay. And he released the stuff on Trax. And it got kind of crazy because when it came out, they because it was Frankie Knuckles, 
they were pushing it more as Frankie Knuckles instead of Jamie Prince. Right. So in Jamie's eyes and the rest of the world, it looked as if Frankie was stealing right, Jamie's right, right, music. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't. That was that was a problem, like you already saw with right. Persona. Yeah. They most labels would try to go with the name that they knew. Bigger name. Yeah. To the use bigger the name. Right. You know, um, and, and it's so crazy. Even Frankie, let, to go off subject for a minute, even Frankie experienced that. Wow. When he was with, uh, when they did Let No Man Put Us Under. Correct. Everybody was harping over Frankie's mix. Right. But the label didn't feel that Frankie's name was big Shep enough. So in. they hired Shep to yeah. do the mix. And Frankie's mix still overshadowed. Absolutely. It. Yeah. Wow. You know? But uh, back to the story. Um Jamie had fell out. Okay. Jamie was working with Steve and the guys at ID. Yeah, Steve Silkerly. Yeah, and Steve Silkerly. Right. And it kind of like got, you know, it was a whole thing. Jamie was mad at him. Steve was mad at him and right. all of that. Right. But what they did not know was that Frankie did not steal it. And every penny of the money that was made, even the publishing, was still in Jamie's name. Oh, wow. Okay. And then until that happened and Jamie saw that. Right. Then it was a big change. Because okay. we were at Imports, right, et cetera, right, right. when Jamie came up to Frankie to apologize oh, wow. for... So I'm, I'm interject right here. So I, it was known that, I don't know if it's known, but it's allegedly that Frankie was broke when he decided to move back to New York to join Def Mix. And then that's when he sold the songs of both Tracks and DJ International? Mm, he sold those before he left. Oh, he sold that before he left? Yeah, he sold okay. those before he left. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. That was the money. Yeah, he sold those before he left. That okay. was Yeah. So let me ask you, too. Why didn't you move to New York with Frankie? Was it an option at that time? Actually, I moved to California. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was Get so funny. Here. Let me tell you a little story about that. Okay. Frankie wrote, and I still have that. <laughs> Frankie wrote me a letter of introduction to a friend of his, uh -huh. Gui Manganello, okay. at Chrysalis Records for a job. And he, he wrote a letter of introduction, and it's I still have that letter to this day. Wow. And it was so funny. Frankie was going to London. I went to California, and I never forget it. I was in the, in the uh, office interviewing with Gui, Gui Manganello, right. and this little guy came in and handed him a cassette uh -huh. of said, this is my new album that right. I want to I work on in Christmas. And he took it. And then I was just joking with Gui about him and uh -huh. who it was. And it was Easy e Get out of here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you went from one genre to yeah, another. Yeah, but I didn't have nothing to do. I was so, <laughs> so it was like, I would just never forget that. I'd never forget right. that, that, that when I was interviewing, that this was, this guy actually brought his tape yeah. in wow. to let Gui handle, because uh, he was the yeah. head of A&R for Chrysalis Records. Wow. So you said earlier that a lot of people came down to see Frankie play their music. You know, when it was just raw and into production. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, you, and you say he was on there immediately, right? If mm -hmm. he liked it or not. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, it, and, and did it take any records to grow on him before he played it that night? Like, he, did, he, did he say to anybody like... I mean, no, actually, okay. no. It, it, it Never, never. It oh, was wow. always, that's why I was always telling people, the power plant was way before its time. Yeah. As far as I mean, we when I say new music, right. we had new music before you even knew it existed. Wow! And that's what made it so yeah. hot. I mean, literally, if you were working, if the sound quality right. was good enough to come, because you could tell in the headphones, yeah. if it was good enough to play out 
then we would play it out if it was hot. We tell them the first three bars. Right. You know yeah, what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's true. You know, if it's funky. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and Frankie would play it. Or and I see, would play we, it. We miss those type of days right now. Yeah. Because everybody know, one like, of the things is that yeah. give me your demo, I'll right. listen to it You'll later. To it and later. All that. Right. But it didn't work like that wow. for us. We would I literally wish we could play. have that back yeah. again like that, man. Yeah, we would literally play it right then and wow. there. Right so name the first three house music records that established the genre in your opinion. First three house records. Yes. It's House. Okay, that's Chippy. Yeah. Right? A lot of it was Chippy to me. It's House, Godfather of House. Okay. Uh, that established the genre. I Can't Turn Around. Okay. Steve Hurley and Farley's. Right. You know. Um, Would you put Move Your Body in there? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I wouldn't say that it is. Well, yeah, it would. Yeah, Move Your Body. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Move your body. Move up. Move your body. Kind of took it global, right? I would say it too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah, so yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, what were you, some of your first engineer or production records at DJ International? Ooh. Wow. Because a lot of people don't know you. You had your stake in. Yeah. DJ right after I got out of school um, for engineering, I got hired by DJ International. And I was chief engineer for DJ International for 10 years. Wow. And I engineered some of everybody. Yeah, you did. Because Sundance said you did get on up with yeah, your I did get on. Yeah. Let me tell you, you would not believe. <laughs> I'm not going to tell your secret, Sundance. But, <laughs> but we had fun with that. Right, right, right. right, <laughs> I'm, right. Gonna leave it. I'm going to leave, leave it at like that. that. Okay. We had, we had fun with that. All um, right. So hindsight is 2020 vision, right? Mm -hmm. You saw DJ International from the inside. If you was Rocky Jones... What would you have done differently? Made sure that everybody got paid the right way. Right. And, and cultivated everybody because believe it or not, at one particular point, everybody and anybody in the city of Chicago that was doing something in right. house music was signed to DJ that International. That is true. That is true. And if you, I mean, it, 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 it was already, DJ International became a global phenomenon, yes. but where it would have been now if everybody felt that they were cool and they were getting their just dues. Right, right. It was literally, I mean, yeah, Frankie. Yeah. Frankie was signed there. Yeah. Uh, Steve, Farley. You know, everybody yeah, was signed to DJ International. Yeah, Joe Smooth. Yeah. You know, everybody, yeah. literally. And actually, the, really, the only reason I got signed, <laughs> I was the engineer at that time. And what would happen is, during my downtime, right. I would go in Studio B downstairs, okay. and I'd start writing stuff. And one day, uh, Rocky came up downstairs and said, whose stuff is this? Why don't we have this out? Why is right, this? Right, right, right. And I was like, it's not, it's mine. I was just playing around. He was like, put this out. We need right. to put this out. But then also, what, he didn't have me sign a uh, non-disclosure agreement. Right, right. So what he made me do was, he, if I wanted to keep my job as an engineer, right. I had to sign a record deal oh, with him. Okay. So that was like the non-disclosure, because he had no control. I could have right, took right, it and right, went right. anywhere. So since I was sitting on a record label, I mean record yeah. deal, I started putting records out yeah. under Loftus. Loftus okay. 1, yeah. Loftus 2. And then that. another group was L Factor, right. uh, another group of mine and yeah wow so you are more linked with frankie knuckles but did you have a relationship with ron hardy at the music box oh yeah yeah okay. ron and i were speak about that for a yeah. little bit well ron ron and i i would go down and hang out with ron i you know i really think that ron hardy was an amazing dj okay he was amazing literally right. you know it, it's interesting as a dj 
you know, we always are concerned about tempo. Yeah. It didn't work with Ron Hardy. Yeah. It did not work with Ron Hardy. Yeah. Ron Hardy played what he wanted, when he wanted right. to hear and it. how fast he and how It didn't matter. It didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter. Right. Records that to this day we couldn't figure out how to put the two together, Ron could make it happen. Yeah. The yeah. only other DJ to me that that is as phenomenal as a mixer is uh, Andre Hatchett. Yeah. You know, yeah, people forget about Andre. Yeah, too. Andre's ear. Yeah. No one, I mean, no one in this city has come anywhere near the way Andre hears mixes right. in his head. Yeah. Now, you know, I sometimes when I sit back, I remember looking, listening to Andre and just watching him. You know, and the, and the the way he would have probably made a great musician. Yeah. If he went into it, but he would turn his records into music. Wow. Andre would yeah. do blends that were unreal, Andre but. Ron was cool. I remember yeah. Ron and I used to hang out. I had one crazy story that happened with Ron. Uh, it, it was the only time right. that I have ever played at the music box. Yeah. Um, I went down to go see Ron. And it's so funny. It's a life story of mine, but I've had a few people come tell me my own story, right. <laughs> which is interesting. But um, Ron was, I was there with Robert and Ron. We right. were in the DJ booth. It was a Tuesday night. Okay. Uh, and I would come down and hang out with Ron in the booth. I even got a picture of that night. Okay. Um, and Ron and Robert went downstairs in the office. And I was sitting there. The room was packed. The record was about to go off. Right. And I'm sitting up here in my mind trying to figure out what do I do. Right. Because I went to the door and I called and I called, right, right. He ain't come back upstairs. So I'm trying to figure out what do I do. Right. I work for the power plant. Right. I don't work for the music box. Right. right? So just out of GP, I, I just grabbed a record and I mixed and, you know, crowd loved it, right. whatever. At that particular time, Ronnie came upstairs, saw me mix uh -huh. and said, oh, OK, and went back downstairs. And I didn't see Ron until like three or four that morning. <laughs> I ended up playing the whole party, but wow. it was fun. And that was the only time I've ever played at the music okay. box. And what year was that? Oh my God, Maurice! Don't ask me. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. That was just yeah. You know, All right. Because you know the, that place. This was at the underground. Right. So it had to be after sixteenth. Right. So that had to be eighty. Somewhere in eighties. Okay. That's all I'm gonna okay, say. Okay. You know. So you were around for almost the beginning. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how Farley Keith came on the scene and became popular? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for me. Okay. Um, it was the playground. In actuality, this is funny. I should tell Farley this story all the time. Frankie and I, actually, he sent me in as a spy. Oh, wow. Get out of here. <laughs> it was funny. It was really funny because we were having this conversation. He didn't really send me in as a spy. Right, I just right, had to right. prove a point. Yeah. Word had got back to us that there was this guy that was DJing at the playground okay. that could do our edits. Frankie and I were real big on edits. Right. That was, but we would, that's one of the things we would do a lot is get together, cut tape up, and all that. Right. So we were really big on that. And the word got back to us that there was a guy at the, that was a DJ at the playground right. that could do our edits live on turntables. Right. And I thought that was like, ain't no way. Ain't unheard ain't of. Ain't no right. way on this planet right, right. somebody could do that. So I actually went down to the power plant. Okay. I mean, to the uh, playground. Pa playground. And watched him. Uh-huh. And he did. Wow. And I went back and told Frankie, I said, yeah, he can. Okay. He can. <laughs> yeah, it so was, 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 uh, Frankie was aware of Farley and his impact then. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to remember, Farley was huge because back then, like I was telling you, yeah. at the same time as we were having 
the underground of the 206, the warehouse, uh, I mean, 206, the power plant and all of those. Right. That, you know, from, let's say from 206 to the power plant and the music box yeah. time, you also had a development of the teen scene. Correct. In Chicago. Right. They didn't know about each other. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's a few, it was only a few of us that trickled over. Right, right, You know, right. to the warehouse yeah. and stuff like that. You know, I think I saw Jesse in there one time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Andre, we've, Andre's been in there. Celeste, you know, there's only a few of us. Have you seen Wayne Williams in there? Wayne was in there one okay. time. Okay. I remember Wayne in there one right. time. You know, um... But yeah, there's only a few of us that that yeah. would trickle over. Right. But it was all going on at the, at same, the same time. time. Because yeah, because you you had the the gay kids and mm -hmm. then the straight kids mm -hmm. doing their own thing too. Exactly. But everybody partied together too. At yeah, the same everybody time. partied together at the same time. It was so funny too. It's like the 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 straight kids had their dance, right? And the gay kids had their dance, right? Because it was really funny. I mean, tell you, yeah, there was a dance that was done at two o six. It's almost like the punk out. Okay. But it was different. Right. And if you saw somebody do that dance at a party, right. you knew they went to the warehouse. They went to the house, yeah. So you would look at them, Absolutely. they they'd look at you, too. and then it would be yeah. this little nod, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, what's up? <laughs> so, Greg, tell us about your most impactful production. My most impactful production? Yes. My most impactful production would be my song, Mary Mary. Yes. Um, yes. which in which actually was a hit for seven years right. in the gay community before the straight kids even found out really? about it. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it had been and there was a lot of people I boo like or they put their name on it. Yeah. So we well, didn't really know who did it. Yeah, what happened was uh it, it's so interesting that now that's a whole nother story. Okay. Let me tell you how Mary Mary came to fruition. Right. Um at that time, I was the resident DJ of the Prop House okay. on Friday nights, which right. was their gay night. Yeah. And this is when we were going through the struggle, which a lot of people still don't know. Gay kids don't listen to house music anymore. Right. Okay, y'all hear that? <laughs> gay kids don't listen to house music anymore. If you go into a gay club, they're playing hip hop. That's crazy. That's what they, which is crazy. Right. Which is crazy when, when a lot of us are the ones that created it and started it, you right. know, uh, or actually helped it move along to where it is now. So... One of the problems that I had on my dance floor was it was separated. I had the older heads who liked nothing but vocals and soulful stuff. Right. Then I had the younger kids who only liked up-tempo stuff, funky right. rhythms and everything. And then I had the ball kids who only loved that crash. You could put that <laughs> crash on any song and they would lose their mind. It could be a hip-hop song. If they hear that crash, they're going to lose it. Wow. And so as I would DJ throughout the night, I kept noticing the floor would change. They wouldn't leave the room. The floor kept changing Right. every time they heard what they wanted to hear. So I went home, and it was so funny. I was in my studio. It was Roy Bryant, Andre Hatchett, and Gus Taylor. Okay. We were all in there getting drunk. Right. And I was working on this track all night long, and it was Mary Mary. Okay. When I got the instrumentation correct, and what it was, was I pulled the element of everything that I knew that separated my dance floor right. and put it all in one. Yes. That next day, this was a Saturday, that Sunday, I got in the car, was going to the store, and Oh Mary, Don't You Weep came on the radio. And for me listening to this track all night long, I kept putting the two together. I couldn't wait to get back in the house. Right. I ran in the house, grabbed Oh Mary, Don't You Weep, right. and I cut it up, and I placed it strategically in the track right, itself. Right, right, right. It worked. When I wow. played it, they lost it. 
they lost it. And it was actually a DJ toy. Right. It was just a DJ tool. Yeah. Now, I, now I'm going to tell you something that a lot of people don't know. Okay. The record came out on initially on Wheezy Records. Wheezy Records, right. Okay. Y'all ready for this? Yep. Wheezy is Wayne Williams' mother. What? Dun, 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 dun. Wow. <laughs> Wayne Williams actually uh, was the producer to help me get Mary Mary out. Nice. Yeah. So okay. we, we did a joint venture to put Mary Mary yeah, out. That was, that was a great record, man. Like yeah, I said, everybody yeah. loved that record, man. Mm -hmm. So describe your own DJ style and philosophy, Craig. My DJ style is... I, I was born from the, well, I won't say the classics, because when I started, they weren't classics. Right. They were just new records. They were just new records. Yeah. And what I find, being a producer myself, and in this era, history always repeats itself. Right. So, you know, when I write a song, or, you know, when I'm working on a track, and I'm working on the hi-hats and things like that, I always used to ask myself, what would Frankie do right here? Yeah. What would Frankie do right yeah. here? And then I would also reminisce from the days of the power plant and the music box and remember what rocked the room yeah. at that time. Yeah. And, and, and I view that philosophy on everything. Yeah, because I can, I can tell your production is, is, is clean and it's different mm -hmm. from anybody else's. And it remind me of, uh, how is that... Um, the signature sound like Frankie and Eric couple, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, it, it's, it's sort of like that. And, and with yeah. a little bit more energy. Yes. That yes. Was, and that was one of the reasons too. Another reason why I created Mary Mary was because of the fact that I told Frankie, I was tired of all house music went through this pretty music era. Yeah. That everything was pretty. Right. And I told him, I said, nobody's putting out like gutsy, raw, raw tracks yeah. like we did back in the day. Right. The stuff that rocked the, the 90s, dance floor. Yeah. And so that's one of the other reasons why I created wow. Mary Mary. So now, you're now a club owner. Describe yes. how you approach running and programming a club. And what do you take from all your experiences in creating the vibe for the lodge? The experience, the main experience is creating a good event. Uh, as everyone knows, I'm really, really big on decorating. It's all about the ambiance. Right. You know, and the atmosphere. Yes. One of the main key components in a successful nightclub in Chicago is the sound system. Yeah. You can literally have a hole in the wall, and if you got a great sound system, you got to start. That is true. Um, but I like to add that other aspect on it because, you know, being with Frankie and being in this industry so long, I've literally had the pleasure of traveling the world. And I've seen what other clubs, like give you an example, in the lodge, no one really pays attention to it, but right. my chandeliers in the lodge actually have strobe lights inside of them. Oh, wow. And that idea I got from a club in Dubai. Right. The last place me and Frankie was at, it was a club in Dubai. Yeah. And it was a beautiful club. And I kept asking Frankie, well, where's the light system at? <laughs> we couldn't see it. And we were right, wondering right. what it was. And then when the party started, come to find out, theirs was major. Yeah. I just put strobe lights in mine. Yeah, but yeah. their chandeliers were actually the light system. Wow. They had all kind of That's stuff nice. coming out of the chandeliers yeah. and everything. So it's about creating an atmosphere where people can remember. But, you know, it comes from, again, like you say, the history. Yeah. Even when we were with Vertigo, yeah. Vertigo never gave just a party. Yeah, Every party that Vertigo gave 
when we were kids was strategic. Right. It was either the Battle of the DJs or it was, uh, I, I'll tell you one, and this this will tell people's age. Right. If you remember a long time ago, Jules had a section called Generic. It was everything you wanted that they sold regularly, but it was generic. all generic, yep. and it had a white label yep. with green stripes, green and black stripes. Right. So it was generic pop, generic cereal, right. everything. <laughs> we gave a generic punk party. So the flyer looked just like Jules' generic thing, but oh, it wow. said generic punk, okay. and we sold generic pop. Right. I mean, everything, it was a theme. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember one of our parties down the street here at the, uh, it was the loft uh, right down the street here on Michigan, um, it was our Halloween party. Right. And the chosen few were the DJs. And Alan, it was so funny, Alan remembered this and mentioned it on Facebook the other day. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't remember whose party it was. It was our party. Okay. It was Vertigo. We had got to capacity and we had to close the doors. Okay. And from somewhere, we don't know where, uh, people got ladders. And if they remember the loft, the loft had big giant windows that you turn like this okay. to open to get, you know, get area, but people could easily fit in. And they'd actually climb the building. You know, Kurt was saying something like that, too. Right? Yeah, they yeah. climbed the building. That wow. was our party. That was Vertigo. Okay. Yeah, that was Vertigo. So, Craig, as house music has expanded globally, some portions have become more commercial and mainstream. Do you think house music need to be underground again? I would say it could have two sides. Okay. You know, one of the things is if it glow, I appreciate it going commercial because it broadens the audience. Yeah. Uh, and then also on that level, by broadening the audience, you can, um, as a producer and writer, you have the opportunity to be on the level with artists that have been out here for a while, you know, getting Grammys and being nominated for a particular genre of music. Uh, congratulations to you and, right. you know, Frankie, Terry for being nominated yes. for a Grammy. You know, these are things that we inspire for, but it only happens when house music becomes global. Correct. And everybody's you, together Exactly. Too. Yeah. And, then, and then everybody can make more money. Right. Um, yeah. Then at the same time, if you could take that, and do another mix for yeah. the underground for the club. That's how we used to do it back in the yeah, day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you was, do yeah. The, yeah, you do this really mainstream, cool, poppy mainstream right, mix, right. and then you you know. And what was interesting? Yeah. I used to work for uh, Vince Lawrence on Slang. Okay. And what I used to always do with my mixes, I remember in Kelly Price when I did Kelly Price's album, and then all the other in sync, right. uh, the other people that I've done mixes on, I would always start off with the body, with the commercial part and right. everything. Yep. But then it would make a dramatic change, change. in the end yeah. and just get funky. Right, right, right. So everybody yeah. else could get a piece. Absolutely. So <laughs> That's what happened for you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there are many versions of, of a house music story as it develops from influences to its own culture to a full fledged genre. Can you clear up anything in the story that you feel is consistently misrepresented? That one of the things is that Frankie played house music. Okay. At the warehouse. Right. That's not true. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But right. see, again, what happens is, is when we twist the culture right. and the genre. Yes. The culture was around for a long time. Correct. You know what I'm saying? It was developed. It, it started when, like I say, back when we were punk. Yeah. 
But what it is is that you have a whole lot of people in Chicago that don't know anything about that, weren't there, and they were born into house. Correct. So it's real hard for them to understand that there's a difference. And that's why we have all this bickering going on. You have the culture that is house. Where is that? Give you an example. It would be if something was hot, it's like if you called it house, it was a term of endearment. Correct. You see what yeah. I'm saying? It, was, it wasn't just saying, oh, that's house, oh, house a, a, music. Exactly. Yeah. It was a term of endearment. Right, because you had a lot of pop artists doing it with exactly. the 4-4. Four, four. Like, Ex- they went house on it. Exactly. That's like trying to have a battle, an argument with somebody saying, Teddy Pendergrass, Bad Luck was house music. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But tell a classic househead that you get shot. Right, right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what is your Mount Rushmore of house culture and then house the genre? House the culture. Oh, right. That's interesting. Split You split it up. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. House the genre. Mount Rushmore. Yeah. You can make it three or five. Either three or five? Yeah. Okay. Woo. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. See. Mm. The genre yes. would be... Frankie, yes. yeah, Frankie, Ronnie. I like when Lewis, she said Little Lewis. Little Lewis is true. Frankie, Ronnie, Little Lewis. Uh, one of the main ones that a lot of people don't know about, Craig Cannon. Craig Cannon, yeah. yeah. Do you know Craig Cannon? Yeah. Okay. Craig Cannon actually was one of the most unsung heroes in all of this. Wow. Because, see, Craig Cannon gave me my first start. Right. Everybody thought Frankie did, but it wasn't. Craig Cannon mm-hmm. gave me my first start. Yeah. He gave Lori Branch her first start. Nice. He gave Wayne Williams his first start. That's part of history right there. And get ready for this. He gave Ron Hardy his start. Really? Yeah. A lot of people Ron when Ron got back here to Chicago, he was he was uh doing um not just the Den. He played the Den One in California. Okay. Left the Den One and was playing at this little bar. I forgot the name of this bar. Oh my God. Well, when he left that, this was before Robert, he went to the Ritz. Okay. Craig hired him to play at the Ritz. Oh, wow. So Ron Hardy was playing at the Ritz right. on Wednesday nights. Right, right, right. Me and Frankie used to go down to hear Ron at the Ritz on Wednesday. Yeah. The owner of the Ritz was this white guy named Fred okay. who got a wind of all of the underground things that was going on. Right. So he wanted to jump in the business. Oh, wow. So he went and got a building okay. to open up his new club, which was called R2 Underground. Oh, wow. Which was 326 Lower Wacker. Oh, get out of here. That was Fred's club. Right. That was R2 Underground, which was initially started by Craig Cannon. Oh, Your initial man. DJs on there were, believe it or not, the residence was Andre Hatchett and Lori Branch. Oh, wow. Okay. This is before it became the music box. Ah. Look at that history right there, y'all. Y'all getting history right there. Okay. So... Name your top three Chicago house records besides your own. Top three Chicago. Wonderful. I love Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, Terry Hunter's Terry Wonderful. Terry Hunter, Teresa Griffin. Um, Ron Carroll. 
Peaches. Yeah, you say Peaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A.K.A. Peaches. Carol Ann. Yeah. Carol Ann. Right. <laughs> you got one more. Um, move Your Body. And Move Your Body. Mm-hmm. Marshall Jeff and Curtis McLean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Craig, but I love Robert Owens too, so don't get me wrong. Well, you, you, yeah. you can have five if you want to. But they make it six because I love everything yeah, that make, Jamie make, did. Okay. You know, it took me years. I, I'm telling you, as a producer and artist, I've tried for years to imitate that mystique and underground sound yeah. that Jamie Principal had. Nobody's Nobody matched that. No. Nobody can't no. come nowhere like near it. Like exactly. Prince. Well, yeah. that was two of his, his, his favorite idols yeah, was Prince yeah. and, and David Bowie. Exactly. And if you ever listen to his stuff, he sounds like Prince and David yeah, absolutely. Bowie. Absolutely. You know That's saying? why nobody can replicate it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Craig, are you part of the Frankie Knuckles Foundation? Unfortunately, no, I am not part of the Frankie Knuckles Foundation. Okay. Um, is there a reason why? Because you're so close to Frankie, too. So why wouldn't you be a part of that? Well, the people that are in charge of the foundation, um, we are on different levels okay. of, of, of concepts and ideas. Right. Uh, I wasn't asked to be a part of that. Okay. You know, um, All right. Yeah. So I would leave right. that. I would yeah. leave it like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, once again, Craig, thank you so much, man. I love you for doing this, man. Uh, thank you for tuning in for everything, how, uh, everything house music and more. Remember to click the button, subscribe, hit the notification. And Craig, before we leave out of here, is there anything else you want to let the people know? Support. Okay. Support your house people. Support your parties. And bring a young person to a party. There you go. That's what we need. We need growth. That's right. You know, all of us are getting much, much older. Correct. And for this to continue, we need to get younger people involved. Absolutely. So let's try to get those young folks involved because I truly believe if they got a chance to see and experience how we really party, they would fall just like we did. Absolutely. Because that's what happened. You walked into, you had never been to a house music party before in your life and you walked into the room and said, this is it. That's it. I'm in heaven. Yes, sir. So do the same thing. Find a young person that you think would fit into our genre that's right. Bring him on down. Absolutely. Right. And remember to follow Craig and watch out for his book and stay tuned for that. And he got a lot more coming up. Once again, Craig, I love you, man. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Peace.